Hi there, you're listening to the 247 Girl Boss Podcast, and I'm your host, Ola. In this podcast, we discuss the successes, failures, and pivotal moments that make the career change journey worthwhile. Expect to have a few laughs, be encouraged, and get equipped with the mindset, tools, and resources required on the journey to finding the careers you love and making a difference where you live. I'm really excited that you were able to come along with us today for this episode. And I'm super excited to have Chi the Cold Sweat in the house today. She is the founder of the Donors for Africa um, organization. It's a non-profit organization and she really helps a lot of women start the non-profit business understand how to write and get grants for their business and today she's going to be telling us all about what she does and how if you are interested in going into that area you can get started. Chidi thank you so much for coming on to our podcast today. I'm really excited to have you here. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Um, I'm really glad to be here as well. Thank you. How have you been? How's it? Now I know the lockdown has kind of eased a lot now so um what does it feel like to be out and about again? <laughs> okay, so that's it. That's it. I don't know if... Uh, I, so let me just warn you in advance, right? I don't usually have, like, regular answers to things that people would say. So <laughs> bear with me. So the truth is, it doesn't feel any different, right? Because I have been working indoors for, like, three years now. So mm. I guess I'm used to working from home. Like, yeah. even getting up to go for a meeting is always... A, an issue right so <laughs> i guess it didn't make any difference to me if we were locked down the only difference is before you had a choice right to get in and go somewhere nice and fancy or spend some time with friends and family but now you, you couldn't do that anymore but if it's in the work part if it's my work life it's pretty much <laughs> even more welcome actually to be fair, to be fair you know and, but then generally we are, i'm fine you know at least we're out of that mental health space of Oh, there's a pandemic, everybody will die. Oh, how will my children survive in this dark, gloomy world? You know, Mm. at least we're all, I I am out of that headspace and it's almost a lot more relaxed at the moment. So I guess we're thankful for that. That's brilliant. Yeah, I know that feeling. I think particularly is is a mental, the psychological effect of having to stay at home that's the most difficult to cope with. But once you get out of that, that feeling, that, that, um, claustrophobic feeling for want of a better word you kind of okay i have to do it i just i'm just going to go with the flow i'm going to make this work i'm going to make it use it to my my advantage i will just keep on flowing that way yeah that's that's absolutely true Judy, tell us a little bit about yourself i haven't really introduced you as well as i could Uh, there are many accolades i could count the the (laughs) lovely work you're doing with some ngos the awards you've won tell us a little bit about yourself so um, about myself, right? I know she's a very self-aware person, right? Mm. Who I have made it my own mission to live life on my terms mm-hmm. and to always live my truth. And that's why I said some of my responses may not be typical, but it's pretty much who I am as a person. And I've come to embrace that person who has usually different opinions about several things. Um, I've been in the development sector literally all my career, all my life I've been working. I've been working on my life in this NGO space. And um, it's not an emotional journey for me anymore, like it was when we first started out. It's more now more like a problem solving journey for me. So I'm a lot more practical, hands-on, hands-on, logical, as opposed to emotional. 
um, Chidi is a very, I, 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 I feel like, not feel, I, Chidi is someone who believes that I'm going to do really big things and big things here has nothing to do with whatever the world terms as big things. For me, I just believe that I was created to make so much impact. I was created to use all my quirky, um, fun, crazy, cool side at the same time to just literally be a blessing in the lives of other people. And I guess that's what has informed even the work that I do, the way that I do it. So I may not be a professional, normal professional person, but <laughs> but it's really, it has informed like my journey, knowing that just using all the things that I have been blessed to be a blessing in the lives of other people. And that's pretty much how I can describe myself. Like, you know, that's TD for you. Thank you. But what you just described is, you're just being your authentic self. I think you're the definition of what authenticity is. Just living your truth yeah. and being who you are, not really caring what other people think. So it's, yeah. it's that's what you described <laughs> in a nutshell. I'm going to ask you a different a, a question just from, I was going to ask you, tell me how you got started. So I'm going to mm. ask you that question. But in addition to that, you say that it's no longer an emotional journey for you now. It's more practical. Tell me why it's, less emotional now and why it's become more practical for you and is that something people should worry about or is it something that is natural and you actually have to not be emotional about starting an NGO? Okay so when I started off right it was this whole campaign of I want, I want to save the world mm-hmm. and I want to save every other person in the world. I want to save vulnerable children. Oh God, these people are dying. Why is nobody paying attention to their death? Oh, where is everybody? Bring your money. Let's just help people. Like, that's what I meant by I started off as an emotional journey. But the truth is, as I progressed, you suddenly begin to realize, especially in the world that we live in, why it's important to have emotions at the back of what you do. It really should not be a decisive factor with the way you do things. So let me explain that, right? Emotions is not enough in our sector to do the work that you want to do. You must be able to present your case to your sponsors, to your donors, to your partners, to your bosses in a very logical, reasonable um, conclusion to say, this is why I think it's important to visit community A over community B. It's not because community B is not suffering as much as community A is suffering. Just look at the goal we had set out for ourselves. Look at the realities both communities are facing. Look at the organization that is more aligned to the goals that we have set as an organization. Even when you approach your sponsor, it's no longer an emotional, you must save the world. It's not like, okay, I know Coca-Cola wants the return on investment, but I know the T.Y. Danjuma Foundation wants an impact-driven campaign. So how do I give Coca-Cola a return on investment and give T.Y. Danjuma Foundation an impact-driven campaign? So that's what I'm saying. It's no longer more of how are my emotions embedded in this thing, how much do I want that child to go to school, but it's now a factor of how do I ensure that I am thinking through my decision in such a way that it's not just the immediate result I'm in search of. I'm actually in search of longer lasting results in such a way that Coca-Cola will continue to fund me and um, T.Y. Danjuma Foundation will continue to fund me. So I guess that's why I said um, it's not as emotive or as emotion driven like it was initially. It's now more, maybe it comes to the maturity, maybe it comes to the years in the sector. I'm not really sure whether when that switch happened, right? But it's now more look at the facts 
and propose a logical solution that is sellable to a donor, a sponsor, a funder, and then just go with it. So your emotions are great, but you can't always put that at the forefront of the work because you just go, like your emotion will just dry up one day. There'll be no emotion left. Like you'll just be left emotionless. So you don't want to get to the point where it's now like you're just drained completely. And that happens a lot in our sector. You get drained easily. I mean, if you work with people who face sexual violence and you see what some spouses do to do to their wives, right? It just leaves you like, how can any normal thinking human being do this? So if you don't, if you don't control your, the emotional side of yourself, you, don't, you just end up replicating that thought maybe in your actual marital home. You begin to see your spouse as a suspect, you know. So that's why it's really key that we approach issues, work at work, home, home, just so that you don't cross those thin lines. Yeah. Let me leave it there. Because believe me, I can keep going on and on until I'll end it there. <laughs> in fact, I'm, I'm paying attention and I have other questions. Just We can almost spend the whole day trying to unpack this emotion and the business side of it. Because I think from what you're saying, you have to treat, it starts with the emotion. It starts with the will to do good, I guess. And then in the will mm-hmm. to do good, yes. you now have to start thinking about it as a business because you need funding. You, you can have all the will in the world, yes. but if you don't have the money to make these things happen, you can't get anything done. So you have to have almost two hats, two hats in the ring, everything that you're doing. That's kind of what I'm getting from what you're saying. But it's really interesting mm-hmm. because it's almost, um, yeah. it's, it's the same for anyone that is, uh, even preachers, people that work with people. It's very easy to get, mm-hmm. internalize what you hear, internalize what other people are feeling. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So you've been doing this for a while, more than 10 years. What would you say has been one of your biggest mistakes? Or let's put it a different way. What has been your greatest learning mm-hmm. point in your career? Because I'm looking at it this way, because you, you're not the typical person that um, I've had on the show so far. Many of the people that I've had so far have started in a completely different sector and then read into something different. But you've been consistently in yeah. this space. And obviously it's because you love it. You found what you love. So how do you, how have you been able to thrive in this space? And what would you say if you had to do it all over again, what would you do differently that might have made you go faster, slower, or you tell me. I'm struggling with this question. I'm struggling from saying what comes to my head and what uh, may be perceived as the right thing to say, right? So no, um, we just say what comes to your head. Don't worry about that. <laughs> <laughs> Let me put it this way, right? Um, I've had so many learning experiences on this journey, like so many learning experiences. So it would be hard to say this one thing um, literally changed. Like, I wish I had one of those stories. I don't, right? So, but this is how I would answer it. In my, in my journey in development, I wanted, I had always wanted to be in politics. Like I'm interested, right, in the political office and stuff. So when I got an offer to work as an um, EA with a lady, some woman, I took up the position and I left my NGO role. I think it was my second or my third year in. And it was paying slightly more than what I was earning at the time. So I took my NGO, I left the NGO role and I went to work with this woman. 
but I just didn't like how the job made me feel, right? So it was a job where I would leave my home and I would sit in an organization, in an office for, in fact, I would go to her house, right? And then I would resume in her own home office and I would sit in the home office for hours. When I mean hours, I would sit in her home office for hours. And she wouldn't come down to maybe 10 or something. And I would just sit down there and I was feeling like, what am I doing here, right? I'm not caught out for this because I have always wanted to learn. I, I didn't feel like I was learning. So I, I left that role, ran back to my former job, <laughs> ran back to my former boss. And I said, look, ma, I made a mistake. I want to come back. <laughs> no jokes. You know, and she just said, okay, um, I'll let you know by Friday if, if, we, if we still have a spot open for you. <laughs> <laughs> and, and did they? Like, of course. <laughs> and then when I ran back there and I continued working there. And I think that was where I learned my first lesson, that money wasn't everything. Yes. So that happened really early in my journey. So some people are collecting like several amounts of money. But for me, I think that now we reaffirmed my belief that money wasn't everything mm -hmm. and i'm someone who knows that i'm going to have bloody money like the money i'm going to have is going to be so much right but i don't know when and i don't know how mm -hmm. and i'm not i'm no longer crazy about finding out how and when that will happen but i know it will happen mm -hmm. but i knew at that point in time in my career that now i know money is not important to me right i'm more interested in learning and i think that's what now made me concentrate on this NGO work because we were learning like crazy. You know where in most NGOs, it's small money to hire a lot of people, too many jobs to do. So you'll find an NGO, a, a program officer being managing budgets, you know, doing logistics and operations. Um, in fact, designing brochures and doing all sorts of things, planning events, one person, but what it was doing was it was building my capacity. Mm. And that's why, you know, if any person in the nonprofit sector is listening to this and you're grumbling about work, it's okay to grumble. But I would just say, just take it, like, take it in good faith. Because what I was learning, like, every single thing I learned on that journey is what has prepared me for what I'm doing presently, right? So um, for me, I guess my very first lesson then was money wasn't everything. Some things were more important to me than money. And I think everybody should also decide if money is more important to you because of your responsibilities, by all means, right? Do what is more important to you to take care of your needs. But for me at that time, I knew that at that point, I knew money was no longer what I was pursuing. That's my very first experience. My second learning experience, I would say, there are a lot of what I would try. My second learning experience, I would say, is um, speak up. Hmm. Now, voila. I don't know about you, but if you were born and sugar and seed and raised in Lagos, Nigeria, or in Nigeria as a whole, we all know there's this thing about she's your senior, don't talk when your senior is talking. Oh, you talk too much, keep quiet, your mouth is too sharp. Like, we constantly shut down our kids, we shut down our staff, we shut down everybody. She's older than you, don't talk when your elder is talking. In fact, some people tell you, culturally, a woman is not supposed to talk when other people are talking. I didn't even realize how much of this conditioning was affecting me until when I had my 9 to 5. And I found out that it was difficult for me to speak up. So I would know all these things, I would have all these fantastic ideas, and I won't say anything. I won't say anything, not because I don't have sharp mouth. My mouth has always been sharp. 
But I won't say anything because my I will keep fighting internally. Like they will, they don't need to hear it, right? And guess what? Kept, what kept happening? Projects kept having issues. You know, sometimes I would say something once and not say it again because maybe the person just waved it aside or it wasn't loud enough. And I kept, in fact, I kept losing out on a lot because I kept my mouth shut. I wasn't speaking up. I wasn't, I wasn't um, owning what I knew, irrespective of how old I was at that time. Because especially at a setting where every single crowd you found yourself or group you found yourself, you were always the youngest, right? So somehow it had a way of, let me not talk, they're my elders, let me not talk. What could I possibly know? Like this person is older than me. So let me not say anything. But man, the moment I just realized, I think it was when I was when I was working in, in, with my second boss, the Dr. Akudo Anyawo. You know, she gave us room to argue. I guess maybe because of the um, exposure she had working outside the country, so work wasn't leader and subordinate. It was almost like we are all partners in this. If you had something, if you have something to say, say it. So the more she kept pushing us to talk, talk, talk. I guess that's where I started, I now started realizing this was an issue, right? Not speaking up because of how you've been conditioned to keep quiet. So I guess my second learning would be, I wish I had spoken up more. Um, I did speak up in so many other ways, right? But not just that, open your mouth and say, oh, Ola, this is a fantastic idea, but I don't think it would, this is what I feel would work, right? Mm -hmm. Just being able to say, that feeling of thinking out loud will get angry or somebody will get upset. No, like just say it. this is what you think. And even when I had a lot of foreign colleagues who were like, I watched them a lot and I could see how they were relating with their, with their, with their colleagues. It wasn't quarrel and fight. Something is not working. It's not working. It doesn't mean I hate you. It doesn't mean I don't like you. But there's always a tendency back home for people to take it personal, especially when they're like, oh, I've been in this job longer than you. I'm older than you. People start taking things personal. So I guess... That was a major learning experience for me. Just speaking up, saying what I had to say. So now they cannot, my mouth cannot even close again. So <laughs> I can't close anymore. And then the third learning experience I would now say would be um, believing in yourself. Mm. Like it's such a, a tough world out there. Like it's such a tough world. You know what, Chile? Before you start talking about that, uh, believe in yourself, yes. I, want, I, I sense you're going to say some very important points. And I want us to leave the audience with that when this interview is over, the, the believing in yourself part. And I want you to tell a story of how, how you particularly did that. <laughs> but before we continue in that respect, I want to do two things. I want us to talk about how do we start an NGO. And just before we do that, I am going to stand up for a minute because I can notice one of my windows is open and I'm hearing the car moving. So I'm just going to close my window. So hold, hold on to that thought. No problem. Okay, that's much better. Right, so mm -hmm. there are people on this call, they are working their nine to fives. But actually, they want to yeah. do something more meaningful, or rather, they want to do a little bit extra in the society, make a true difference. Mm -hmm. There are two questions here. Yeah. Do you really have to start an NGO to make a difference? I would say no. You can do. There are other ways. 
So how, without, how yeah. can you make a difference in your community without necessarily starting an NGO? That would be the first question I would ask. And then the next would be, if you have a nine to five job and you wanted to start an NGO, how do you start? So first question, I don't think you have to be, um, to start an NGO to make a difference, right? Because there's, a, there's something called being a global citizen, right? You can actually pick up different causes and pursue those causes and make a difference. And you can make a difference in so many other ways. Like, like we won't have enough time to talk about how you can make a difference, how you can contribute to other people's work, how you can even get recognized for contributing to other people's work. Like there are so many ways you can make a difference through writing. You can make a difference through volunteering. Oh, come on. <laughs> okay. You can make a difference through volunteering, right? So, no, you don't have to start an NGO. In fact, I would even encourage people to think twice before starting an NGO because it's not as easy as people make it look or make it seem. Um, there are too many NGOs doing the same thing. So if you even ask me, if I had my way to manage like the nonprofit sector back home, there will be a lot of consolidation from my end. Like I would just be consolidating things. Like, nah, 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 nah. Because the truth is, it's not about... Everybody wants to make a difference. There's so many other ways you can make a difference. You really don't have to get registered to make a difference. That being said, if you run a nine to five and you want to start your own NGO, my first question would be, you need to clarify your why. Why do you want to do what you're doing? Mm -hmm. So there's something we call a non-profit strategy. A non-profit strategy is one of the things or sessions we take people through where you're like looking critically What's the mission of your organization? What's the vision of your organization? Is this going to be one of the numerous organizations that are doing the same thing? Or are you going to be innovative in your approach? If you want to start an NGO, I think it's a non-profit strategy is the very first thing I would encourage anyone to do. Sit down and paint the picture in your head. Paint it on paper. What are you chasing after? What's the, what do you want your organization to be focused on? That's number one. Number two, I will now encourage you, after you've done all that, go and volunteer, right? See me is not mentioning starting an NGO next. Go and volunteer. Find an organization who does what you're interested in. For example, if I'm interested in helping young girls get a sense of clarity on their career and designing career paths, let me find an organization that's currently doing that. What happens when you volunteer with an organization doing what you want to do? Number one, it would either reaffirm your decision to do it Number two, you suddenly realize, I don't really want to do this thing. Or number three, you decide that, oh, okay, you know what? I can just continue to volunteer within this, with this organization and continue to make an impact. So I would say, go and volunteer so that you can see the reality behind running a nonprofit. Shadow the person who is running the organization and see, right? Look at how... <laughs> Go and look at the go and experience running a nonprofit through volunteering. Mm -hmm. And then if after you're done with that, you're still passionate about going on to launch your own nonprofit, by all means, get registered and follow all the normal procedures that is required in your home country. But I would say nonprofit strategy first, volunteer second before you take a next step of launching your own nonprofit. Can you do a nonprofit and still hold a nine to five at the same time. So I don't believe anything is impossible, but I would say this to you. 
if you're running a nine to, if you're if you're working in a nine to five and you want to run a non-profit prepare to do double the amount of the work as long as you're prepared to do double the amount of the work by all means because the truth is you know if you're running a nine to five and you come back home to now you must make out time to do the things that are required for the non-profits to thrive so that's why i said it's a reality it's going to demand more of you if you look at it and you see that you know what i can have a nine to five come home and then I would focus on the non-profit hours. By all means. But just know that you will demand like a crazy amount of time and dedication. But as long as you're willing. So if you're willing enough to do it, the, the general advice I would think is you need to start small. How small is small? What is a practical size or a pra practical things you can do? to get started something as small as getting registered right getting registered constituting your board um, something as small as um, developing certain processes in place something as small as identifying one project that you want to launch doing the reporting of that one project in fact deciding to focus on that one project for the next six months it's some, that's how small, small is, right? It's um, putting one foot in front of the other. And that's one of the things I tell our inner circle members. I say, you need to, dis you need to decide for yourself what success is. For mm. some other organization, they may have gotten $300,000 and they're extremely excited and they see themselves to be extremely successful. But because I'm not on your page 15 or your page 10, I should be excited enough about my small wins as small as launching our first program right launching an active or growing an active social media platform but whatever you choose to make your own vision and your own success goal line you have to enjoy it and see that implement celebrate each small wins and just keep going one leg in front of you thank you um that's it. and i think what you've said applies to anything to be honest anyone that wants to start anything with a nine-to-five you just have to start know your size know your capacity and start with that capacity and celebrate your wins absolutely, absolutely. question um yeah. so you apart from the ngo you help people i'd like to ask this is a two-throne question kind of where do we get funding from but before before it's where do we if somebody wanted to start and they're looking for international funding how do they go about finding that? What, where are the best places to look for funding from? Okay, so I'm also going to give you a two-song answer to that question. <laughs> and my answer is going to be, are you ready to access funds? That's my first question. Because a lot of funding organizations, before they put money down, they want to see results. What results have you, have you gathered over the past one year or two years? Do you have audited financial statements? right because you're going up we are going to it's not like the money is just for you to just come and collect you're going to compete with organizations that have been doing this for 15 20 30 years so what makes me more legible or eligible to accept access funding and the next person is not so that's why i said are you even ready to access those funds so let us assume you are ready and you have all your documentations in place you have your success stories in place um 
I would say focus on resource mobilization as opposed to funding, because funding is usually 10% of what is required to run your nonprofit. That's why I say focus on resource mobilization. Resource mobilization means um, I have a gap within the organization. I cannot pay a HR officer, but somebody can volunteer their expertise as a HR officer for the organization. That's resource mobilization. Funding is, oh, Coca-Cola is giving me money. Let me go and apply for funds. You may or may not get the funding. So I guess what I'm trying to say is resource mobilization are things that you can control. Funding are things that you cannot control. So you can apply for the grants, you can write, you can send out grants, you can, but you cannot tell me if I should give you the money or not. And you actually you have no control over that. So I guess all I'm trying to say is if you go on Opportunity Desk, if you go on Google, if you go on like proposals for NGOs, if you go to Opportunity, what's the name of Opportunity.org, I think it's run by Grace. Opportunity Desk, right? Or Opportunity for Africans. They are constantly announcing new funds, new accelerator programs. There's always opportunities. But then it's two ways. It's either you're prepared or you're skilled enough to write those grants. And that's why we've been focusing on, number one, focus internally, right? Build capacity internally. At DFA, I can tell you we have not accessed funding for ourselves as DFA. Let me exclude sponsorship funds that we get to implement. Um, maybe we tell Sterling Bank, or oh, come and be on this project, and they give us money to do the project. I don't want to call that funding, right? 80% of the resources that we have generated are internal, internally generated funds. We've been using it to run the organization for as long as we've been running the organization. Why? Because I know that by the time you hit your two-year mark and you're going to approach a sponsor or a funder, I want to have enough evidence to show that you should be investing in me. So we are trying to teach nonprofits resource mobilization because resource mobilization is a more sustainable way to access funds. Now I feel like I'm actually teaching. Resource mobilization is a more sustainable way to access funding. So there's funding, you know, there's so, in fact, if you want to travel, you want to change your face, if you want to go to Harvard, any sort of funding you're looking, if you want to travel for a conference, anything you want to do, there's money available to you. But the question becomes, are you competent enough? Do you have evidence to show that you're deserving of the money? Are you accountable enough? Do you have enough, um, your books, your financial records, are they in order, right, to show that you deserve to access that money? So that's why I said resource mobilization as opposed to focusing solely on funding. Thank you. Just for the, absolutely, just for the listeners and the viewers, um, DFA stands for Donors for Africa. That's um, Chidi's uh, um, company. So anytime she says DFA, you know what she's talking about. <laughs> um, the only question I want to, just to add on to that point. So you said, are you ready for the funding? To summarize, to be ready, you have to have social proof. You have to be able to show that you are capable of managing the resources. You are able to generate resources yeah. of your own. You are able, you, you have people yeah. that you have actually helped in the, in the endeavor. You have to be able to show, like you said, having the accounts to show that you, if mm -hmm. they give you money, you manage the money properly. Have yes. I missed any of well, those? Yes, you're right. Let me touch on something you just said, right? Mm -hmm. Because when you prepare your budgeting, when you're pitching for funds and you prepare your budgeting, they would always ask you, or it's always important to include 
other sources of income. So imagine where I'm looking at your books and I cannot see any other sources of income. It raises a red flag because it means you are solely depending on me to execute your project. But when I look at your books and I see board dues, membership, maybe and other areas you've been able, maybe sponsorship from Sterling Bank, right? Or sponsorship from XYZ um, donations or whatever that has come in. It shows me that while your money is great to have, right? We are capable enough to generate XYZ amount of money as an organization. Mm. So that's why it's very key in the budgeting. You would see, they would always ask, what are your other sources of income? And if you don't have any other sources of income, it simply raises a red flag. Mm. Yeah. Brilliant. What are the kind of mistakes you see people making? Because I think we've touched on a lot of, of, of the mistakes already. People are looking, I want to start an NGO. I just want to look for funding and they go straight into looking for funding. Um, but what other mistakes you see people making that you want to almost call out now for anybody that's starting from the get-go to avoid? They don't want it bad enough. They think they want it, right? They say they want it, but they're not ready to do the work that comes with it. And I'm going to go a bit, I'm going to go off here on our so-called millennials. So um, don't hate me after this conversation. But <laughs> let me say this, because I really think I'm stuck between the people in the 60s who I literally, who trained me, right? And this new craze, this new generation of people who want to be called CEO, but they're not ready to pull their weights. Do you understand? That's why I, I love the fact that we are talking about people who have nine to fives. If you have a nine to five, nine to five teaches you discipline. It teaches you to wake up at five in the morning or at seven in the morning, get dressed and show up somewhere else. And you do that for four or five years. So it simply means you're developing, you're developing enough staying power, enough grit to sit through your own organization. And that's why I'm just telling you, people don't want it bad enough. Like I'm not here to castigate anybody, but it's the truth because there's this whole madness of, oh, I'm a CEO of my life. Oh, I'm the founder of this initiative. I'm the founder of that initiative. They are great. It is beautiful. I encourage it. But let us come back in two years and do the math you would find that a lot of people are missing. Because this thing takes hard work. I was about to swear. It takes a lot of work. If you look <laughs> at my eyes, there are bags under my eyes. It takes a lot, like a lot of work. When we started off our DFA, I couldn't afford to pay graphic designer, pay this person, pay that person, right? Because we just don't have the money. It was the skill set that I developed when I had a nine-to-five. Those were the things I was... I was literally doubling the hours. I was working like from morning to morning to be able to have an active social media page, create my own posts, create my own communications plan, create everything I wanted to create, right? Think of ideas that can help me expand our, 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 expand the work that we're doing. So I think the very first mistake a lot of people make is they enjoy the glory that comes with running an organization. But people, so many people are not ready to do the work. So that's number one mistake. So my feedback would be, if you're not ready to go all the way, my darling, just don't even bother. Or you find a co-founder. Like, that's just it. Find a co-founder that can help you leverage your weaknesses or areas that you're not great at. You guys can consolidate efforts. So see why I was saying, why are we in a hurry to just start up and register? You can actually find someone else who wants to do what you're doing you guys can consolidate efforts this person is great at having doing the tech 
technical work. You're great at showing up and looking pretty and talking intelligently about what you're passionate about. You consolidate your efforts. Let her keep doing the technical work. You, you'll be making you, finding new partners, you know, doing all the other things required. And that way, it's almost like we are riding off each other's strength. But if you're not ready to do this work, I would just encourage you, you know, let me leave it that way. Number two mistake I have found people make, right? It, pay, it breaks my heart when I'm in the strategy session with an organization and they tell me we don't have time to do paperwork. And in my head, I'm like, um, you don't have time to do paperwork, right? They say, no, we don't have the time. Um, um, no, there's no time for that. We want to go to the communities. We want to go and do this. You cannot keep going to the communities giving food, doing this, doing that, and there's nothing to show on paper that you are making an impact. There is no, there is no report from the field. There's no monitoring and evaluation, right? There's no proper documentation. You cannot tell your stories. If you cannot tell your stories, why should anybody give you more money? So you go, you implement your project, you implement your campaigns, and there's nothing to show for it aside from a few pictures on social media. No report, no documentation, no annual report of any kind. Why? We are too busy. In hindsight, busy doing what? And then you complain that you don't have a functioning board. And then you complain that you cannot access funding. And then you complain that you cannot grow beyond a particular level. Mistake number three, they are not ready to invest in themselves. And it's no joke. I've paid 150,000 naira for a coaching program where till today I'm still waiting for the person to have my second coaching call with me. Wow. It is six weeks, twelve weeks done, right? What, do I feel like it was a waste of my resources? Sometimes I do, right? But did I learn something from that experience? Yes, I did. Number one, it taught me that integrity is more important than anything else. And people will always know if you met your own end of the bargain or not. Number two, it taught me that in every nonsense, somebody has something to teach you. Because I learned from a couple of the videos that I watched, right, while I was in the program. I learned from a few of the videos that I watched. And that information has come in handy to me and the community that I'm serving. Even if the program never ended like it was supposed to end. So I guess I paid to learn who not to be and a few more information that was useful to the community that I serve. But people must learn to spend on themselves. So for seven bucks, cannot say you have a class now and you say, oh, I want to grow in my career. And then you will not pay to take a course. I don't know if you understand me. Let's say, okay, you don't want to pay anybody to take a course. EDX is there. Coursera is there. Go and Google and find a course of your choice that can directly impact the job that you're doing and take a course. But I'm telling you, people are not ready. Listen, I'm telling you, I'm not beefing anybody. So many people are not ready. To, they are not ready to pay other people to teach them what they don't know. I've paid people, I've been working in coaching program. We don't know you. I mean, recently, I just ended a, 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 a one-month program with somebody who was teaching me how to follow through in writing my book. I've always wanted to write a book, but I've always told myself, I'm busy, I'm busy. But when I enrolled in this program, because of the deadlines, because of the pressure on us, because of the different you know, ideas she gave us on how to put together our materials, I was able to finish writing a book in 30 days, something I thought I would never be able to do. So I'm just saying, if we don't learn to invest, like 
the only i guess my point my 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 lesson to end this whole conversation like if you leave me i'll go on and on my lesson is just you use money to make money if you don't spend money either in investing in yourself or investing in your organization there is only a limit to how far you can go quote me anywhere i got an opportunity to be in the us in 2018 and they thought that i had to pay half of my half of my bill like i literally had to go and raise almost half a million and I'm like, where will I get the money from? Guess what? The money came miraculously from somewhere. I was able to raise the money because the desire to go for that event was higher than any other, any other desire that I had. I was able to, and that was when I learned that. Let me tell you what, let me give you one small gist. When I was, when I finally, let me tell you how it happened. So I called my uncle in the US. I said, ah, uncle, I got accepted into this program. They asked me to pay extra amount of money. I really want to go. Hmm. In fact, it was difficult to call my uncle because I was not maintaining a relationship. So that brings me to another importance of maintaining a relationship. I don't used to call often. I don't used to like ask after the kids. So to just call and ask for money, right? I felt really, really guilty. But my mommy was like, Chidi, you just have to call. I called and he asked me, he was coming to Nigeria the following week. And he asked me to come and collect the money. And he just, I can't forget, put his hand under his car seat and gave me the entire money for my flight. Yeah. When I got, you know, I know when I now got home, the devil was not telling me, so you want to take all this money you've been able to gather in, in three weeks or two weeks. You want to now take all this money and now travel where you can start a business, where you can do this, you can make all this money. <laughs> devil is a useless guy. You know, why do you want to now spend all this money? And I'm like, ah, I jump and pass. I must go for this thing. But you know, the moment I spent that money or I invested those resources, I suddenly realized if you cannot spend 10,000 naira, you can never be bigger than 10,000 naira. Mm. If you cannot spend 1 million, you can never be bigger than 1 million. The moment you break that money circle and you're like, you know what, I'm bigger than this, I pay for it. You are suddenly mentally, you know that, ah, I can afford this. Okay, great. And that's how you keep evolving and you keep growing. Okay, let me end this conversation. <laughs> invest in yourself. It, it pays you to invest in yourself. Your, your biggest investment and you should not, you should not, be cheap about it like mm. go all out yeah i will leave it there, leave it there. <laughs> that's amazing that's really really helpful that's really good i think i can hear the passion and absolutely i 100 agree with what you said it's investing in yourself absolutely quickly because i know we're quickly yeah. running out of time the we talked mm. about grants five step, give us five or ten steps if you want to go about assessing a grant or um applying for a grant mm what are the top considerations when you want to start the application process what what steps should you take in a nutshell research very first step you have to research you have to find um the opportunity that in other words let me explain it this way research in the sense that when you are approaching your donor right you must you want to ensure that whatever you're pitching to your donor is what your donor is funding so if your donor is not funding education, don't pitch education to him, even if it's education your organization does. So I guess research is finding out what your donor does and what sort of projects they fund. Two, it's not about you when you're applying for funding. It's about your donor. Mm. So what that means is um, see it this way. Your donor, is, your donor has $1 million to spend and they are searching for implementing partners that can help them achieve their own goal. So when you are writing, you want to be able to say to the donor, 
we implement projects at the grassroots level and our projects are directly in sync with what your organization's vision is. So this is why we are the right implementing partner. Three, don't write from a beggar's perspective. What I mean by that is I've reviewed a lot of grant applications and one difference between the African, forgive me again, the African people who apply for funding and the Europeans or the Latin Americans or Americans who apply for funding, you can tell when you read the application, we always come from a beggar's perspective. Please, when you do this, 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 this please, kindly, please. And I'm like, what the hell? Like, like I said earlier, you need to see that you are an implementing partner. And when you write, you want to show whoever is giving you money that I am the right partner to work with. This is our track record. These are the successes we have, re we have recorded on the field. These are our areas of challenges that we are always looking. You know, like you want to approach it like a business relationship. Someone who is coming to add value, not someone who is begging for money. Number four, storytelling. Nonprofits don't tell their story enough. Because we always feel, okay, I helped this family. I've said I helped this family. That's enough. You must tell that story over and over and over again. Because we, while we are always in a search of new stories, what ends up happening is that we don't utilize the stories we already have, um, that we have already generated over the years. So storytelling is so important. And there are so many formats to storytelling. And that's a different um, one completely. Number five, documentation. Documentation means there are certain things you need to have ahead of every funding application, right? So these things make the funding process a lot easier or a lot faster. So things like um, your board documents, the internal policies of your organization, what is your organization saying around child molestation and how do you hire people? If you work with children, how do you hire staff who is not a pedophile or who doesn't have any record of child abuse? Like all those policies, you need to have them documented. You need to have like your CAC documents, like some of those key documentations that they would always, an organizational budget. Let me talk about organizational budget because this one is becoming a growing need. At the start of every year, you're supposed to have a full budget of all your organization's activities for that year. So an organizational budget shows you how much you should be raising at the, at the every year, how much do you want to raise? If your organizational budget is $100,000, that means you should be raising like $150,000 every year. But if you don't have an organizational budget, how would you know what you need to be raising annually? So I'm going to keep it at five because you asked. But these are like five things um, people should always at the back of their minds when they are applying or preparing for these grants. I feel like I shot myself in the foot by saying five. It's like there's something else you wanted to say that I've, I've, you've, you've stopped yourself because I said five. Please say it. If there's something, no, 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 one more important thing you want to say, please go ahead. <laughs> no, like, there's so many things. Like, I don't think we can like, honestly ever have this conversation completely in a day because it's such... I mean, the nonprofit sector is divided into like different, there's fundraising, there's communications, there's, there's um, leadership, there's like it's so much. So there's only little we can do within the time frame we have, but pretty much that's it. If you come to DFA's page, you follow us at, uh, on our social media platforms, we try to teach like different things every, 
you know, every day, how to retain your donors, how to manage your donor relationships, how to find new donors, you know, mm -hmm. like, yeah. <laughs> okay. just leave it so remember, you started at the beginning saying the three mistakes you made while you were setting up. And the last thing you were saying, someone um, should watch out for or make sure you do, you know, you talked about speaking out, being, uh, knowing that it's not just money that matters to you. Then you were saying about believing in yourself. And I stopped you. I kind of wanted us to go and delve into some other parts first. And um, because we're coming closely to the end now, this is where I want us to tell me a story on how you just, where that belief came from and how people should just start. And how do you get to that place where you actually believe in yourself, no matter what anybody else is telling you, you know that you can go ahead and get things done. Okay, so I, don't, I, I really don't like getting personal, right? But let me just find some stories to share that I feel may be useful to do by listening. So I, I never went to a private school, right? You know how private universities started becoming a thing, like in Nigeria, after a while, private universities started becoming this thing, right? So um, I went to a regular state university, you know, left school early. And of course, when you hit the work, in, the workspace, you begin to realize some people have had certain types of education or certain quality of education. It means believe in your abilities to deliver, irrespective of whatever your circumstances are. And my circumstance at that point in time was going to be the thoughts that because I had not gone to a private school, I am not as great as the next person or that other person. So what I did was to identify my weaknesses and I began to work on my weaknesses. So what wasn't I great at? Writing, okay. I have to start learning how to write. I pay more attention to the things. So that's what I'm saying. Let me not, not go too far. All I'm saying is, you know, first of all, irrespective of whatever your own weakness may be, it may be your family, it may be that you were, you moved into a new country and there's a reality of, you know, you being someone from the diaspora, right? You have to realize that hard work has absolutely nothing to do with any of these backgrounds. Like if you work hard enough, it will show and it will not matter at a point. Let's, let me say at a point, it will not matter what this person has. However, you cannot remain at that level of it does not matter. So in as much as I had, I knew that I had experience, right? I also could tell that if I did not further my education beyond the first degree, I would be shooting myself in the foot every time this issue came up in the workplace. So I went to get a second degree. I got a master's degree and I continued working. And I didn't just stop there. I continued to find a lot of courses, you know, online that had a lot of foreign accreditations to it. And I kept adding it to my work responsibilities. So believing in yourself is not being, um, it's not pretending as if you don't have weaknesses. Is being true to yourself to know that these are my weaknesses. These are my threats to me in the workplace. Now, what do I need to do to overcome those threats? And like I said, it involved a lot of things for me. Things like learning public speaking, right? Things like dressing better. So that's why I said, this posture of believing in yourself, it's a lot more. Yeah. But things like learning how to dress better, I would look at how my bosses were dressing. And I didn't have to spend as much as they were spending 
but I would go to a store that I could afford. I would buy what I could and I would dress properly. I would put a nice cheap brooch on my shoulders. I would wear my cheap pearl earrings. My cheap, I mean cheap in the sense that, I mean, there's, they're of course wearing the, the you know, but I'm just saying, yeah. I started modeling the people I wanted to be like. Mm. I watched the way they acted. I watched the way they spoke. I watched the way they drank their tea. I watched the way they had conversations in meetings. Like, as ridiculous as it sounds, right? This is honestly how I have grown over the years. I watched the way they had conversations, the way they had meetings, how they would pause when they are speaking to drive home the point, like I observed. Mm. And the more I kept learning, the more I kept, I kept having more confidence in my abilities. I kept having more confidence in myself. I read like a math. <laughs> I read my book. I read everything readable. I read people's profiles. I can come and visit your profile and just sit on your page and I'll be reading your profile. What school do you go to? No jokes. As I'm reading your profile, I'm like, oh, so there's a program called Yale Green Fellow Programs. Oh, okay. I'll go and Google it. Yale Green Fellow Programs. I'll go and check it out. And I would apply. And sometimes I would get it. I'm just saying, I just opened myself up to learning. And the more I kept learning, the more I kept becoming more confident in myself. You know, when you're observing people, I was, I observe a lot. I can spend time just watching. I observed people. I watched mannerisms. I mean, I had board members like Ibuko Awoshika, Bola Deshola, you know, Adeola. These are people that are leading banks in Nigeria. I kept watching them at every board meeting. How were they carrying conversations? What were they talking about? When they talk about what I don't know, I will write it down. Okay stock something something i'll go to google what is stock so i'll just spend 10 minutes i kept learning and you know what happened with time the more you keep mirroring your your future right with where you are it begins to sink gradually like people could see me i'm like oh you start placing me on the same pedestal with these people because I've studied their mannerisms over the years. So yes, you'll be true to yourself, but you also have to open up yourself to learning. I had to open up myself to learning. How do I eat with fork and knife? How do I eat with it correctly? Right? What's the white wine for? What? Like I had to learn because I was clear about where I was headed. So believing in yourself is being aware of your weaknesses and doing something about your weaknesses. And then that will begin to um, have a ripple effect on everything. Like even how I started approaching challenges in the workplace, how I started approaching my board when there's an issue, I will send an email because I know it is politically correct to do certain things. Like I was taking more leadership um, position in my arguments, right? When you're in a confrontation with your colleagues and people are insisting on the vendors to use, when my boss is asking my feedback, because I've studied how they handled issues over the years, I would say things like, I recommend we get, you know, where are the issues, where are the pictures and the videos these people have done over the years? Let us look at each of them. That's what will show us who has a higher quality in production and who doesn't. You know, so when you take such stand in a conversation gradually i just kept elevating my own leadership position i guess and from there that's pretty much how i just i'm still on my journey to learning so it's important to believe in yourself so that when you see your areas of weaknesses you don't shy away from it or you become rude or you become uh, i don't care this is how i am no you look at it and you say okay so i'm lacking in these areas what do i need to do 
to brush up my skills. Because the truth is, if you wear a nice dress, you walk more confidently. But you want to match that confidence, that physical confidence with intellectual confidence, right? So that's why I'm saying read, believe in yourself, know your weaknesses, deal with your weaknesses, and just keep going and keep speaking up, right? And I guess, you know, that, would, that can really help our journey. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Chidi. It's been a pleasure having you. It was brilliant. Brilliant. There were so many nuggets in there and uh, I can't thank you enough. Um, guys, if you've li been listening, I hope it's helped you. I hope you have a feel for what it's like to start an NGO. But Chidi has gone beyond telling us how to start an NGO and the principles of writing, trying to do a grant. I think she's done exactly what, I, what we wanted, as in talked about actually what it takes to build a career in that space. So um, if you want to get to know more, she has a whole community, a whole tribe of people that are doing exactly that now. Um, I'm going to leave a link in the um, show notes to be able to um, connect with her on Instagram. Her Instagram handle is Donors for Africa, but I'll also leave that in the show notes. Please reach out to her. If you're really serious about starting this, She's, place, she's the best place to start from. I trust, uh, uh, and I think you, you'll be very happy with the results you get from what Chidi has to offer in her space. Um, also, if you're, if you're listening and you actually don't even know what you want to do next, you just know that you're unhappy with your job. In the show notes also, there is a mini course that you can take from the Career by Design group. You can go ahead and take that. It's completely free. So free is no excuse. Take it and see, and start thinking about what values you are aligned to and start getting yourself in the, start taking steps in the direction you want to go. Thank you so much for listening today. Thank you once again, Chidi, for coming on board. I hope you'll come again. I will be inviting you again, definitely. But thank you so much. Can I say something else? Absolutely. So can I say something else? I just wanted to say you're doing a phenomenal work um, because um, early career mistakes, I don't think there are a lot of people who are like showing young people how not to make certain mistakes that they made when they were growing. So mm. I think it's such a phenomenal work you're doing because irrespective of whatever career path anyone chooses, if you don't have anyone to point you in the right direction or guide you, I think you would just mess up in the course of your journey or you would slow your journey down. So I think what you're doing would only prepare people who are ready to take action to hasten their journey, right? And not make as many mistakes as some of us made where we started off in careers. I just had to say thank you so much for inviting me. Thank you so much for this fantastic platform. Um, if I didn't agree with what you're doing, trust me, I won't even be here. So thank you so much. And um, oh, thank you. you so much. Thanks for saying that. Thank you. Thank you guys once again. It's been a pleasure having you on this edition. Uh, look out for the next one. Thank you once again. Have a good afternoon, good morning, good night, good night, whichever time of the day you're listening to this. Ciao. Hi. Hi guys, thanks so much for listening to our podcast today. I hope you liked it. If you did, please head over to iTunes to subscribe, rate and review the podcast. For more information about our guest today, you will find that in the show notes. I'd love to hear from you and I'd love you to keep in touch. Why not sign up for our newsletter for more tips, resources and discounted offers to help you on your journey. You can follow us at 247girlboss on all social media platforms. Thanks once again for listening. Take care. Bye-bye.